Uh, we're in the book of John, and so we will finish the fourth chapter here today. We'll pick it up with where we left off. So John chapter 4, starting verse 43, <clears throat> I'm not going to read the entire portion, we'll read the latter half of it as we get a little further into the study, but starting verse 43, now after two days he departed from there and went to Galilee, he being Jesus, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made, wa made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When they heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went with them and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. You know, as parents, we don't even like seeing when our kids are a little bit sick. But at the point of death, it's like the Jude's... Uh, St. Jude's Hospital or something and the, the, you see the kids with leukemia and they're so close to death and in verse 48 then Jesus so the father implores Jesus first and look at Jesus' first response because there's two responses of Jesus uh, that are documented here the first one then Jesus said to him unless you people see so Jesus is one person allowed to say unless you people you know, sometimes we say that. That's not politically correct. Jesus said it. He can say it because all people are under him. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Let's pray again. Father, we just thank you again for this time this morning. We thank you that we have your word to be a lamp under our feet and a light into our path. We thank you, Lord, that we get our direction from the God that created us. We thank you, Lord, that we get to sit at your feet and hear your counsel. And Lord, you're going to fortify our faith here this morning. We believe that. By faith, we thank you for this time. Once again, Lord, I ask that you'd remove me from the equation that each of us, myself included, would hear from you and you alone, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This entire book of John series, all 21 chapters, and we've got a ways to go, obviously, I have entitled The Only Believe Series. The reason is because the word believe or believe or believing is used collectively more than 100 times by the Apostle John, more than all the other Gospels. So it's a recurring theme that the Holy Spirit gave to the Apostle John to emphasize, and we're going to have to revisit it numerous times because the Word keeps coming up all throughout the book. Now, of course, John 3.16 is the epicenter, right? God so loved the world, whoever believes that central theme, but again and again Jesus presents himself to the cities and the towns of Israel and the surrounding area, either to believe in him or not to believe in him. To be changed or to be left the same. To see him as the Savior or to see him as just some other man. To be redeemed and saved or to remain lost. If you're taking notes this morning, you see the title. Seeing is not always believing. Seeing is not always believing. Some see the work of God and they believe. 
Some see what the Lord has done, and they still don't believe. Judas saw everything Jesus did. He even did some of the things. God gave him some power. Didn't believe. And some, some have only heard what God has done, and yet they immediately believe. Remember Jesus told that to Thomas. He said, many, uh, blessed are you who've seen and believe, but many, blessed, blessed are those who have not seen, and many of us in this day, obviously, we're part of that, that have never seen, and we believe. But uh, some believe, some don't believe. And that is the faith that God is calling us to, though, is that to immediately believe, to firmly believe, that we see in this desperate Father. He's coming, he's believing that Jesus has what he needs. By way of review, we left off here in chapter 4 with a harvest of Samaritans coming out of the city of Sychar, the town of Sychar. Um, And they came to Jesus and they put their faith and trust in him as their personal Messiah. And it all began, remember, with one woman down there in Samaria believing in Jesus when he offered her living water. And then she took that same living water to her community. And they saw the clear change in her, and people should see the clear change in us. Amen? They should see a clear change in us. And they came to see and hear for themselves what God had done. After these souls are saved, Jesus ends up staying an additional two days in Samaria before he continues his return to Galilee. After the time uh, he was uh, there prior to Galilee, he was uh, down in Jerusalem during the Passover, and then he had some subsequent ministry in Judea after the Passover. Uh, Looking back at our map, the map is back, folks. Uh, Looking back at our map, uh, because it's important to kind of see this, a quick reminder of the typical route. Uh, and this is, the reason I'm putting this up is this is kind of everything John has uh, told us here is, is on a timeline as well as geographically he tells us how it kind of lays out. So remember Jesus is at the Passover down in Jerusalem or Judea. Jesus is from up here in Galilee. He's gone down to Jerusalem. He's been in the Passover feast. Then after the Passover, of course, that same time, Nicodemus becomes born again. That's in the middle of the night. After that takes place, Jesus does additional ministry. There's some baptisms that take place. All that happens in Judea, which is this orange area. After that, he's going to head back to Galilee, but instead of heading right through the white part of the Oreo cookie, Samaria, remember I told you the bottom part is Judea, the top part is Galilee, in between are Samaritans. Instead of Jesus going right through the center, instead of going around, which is the normal, uh, most devout Jews would go around Samaria because they didn't like to intermix with each other. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't go up through the Rift Valley, which is kind of the normal way, down, uh, down the elevation, through Jericho, all the way up. Jesus takes the disciples to their kind of um, surprise straight through Samaria, right through, quote-unquote, enemy territory. And then why? Because when he gets there, there's going to be a harvest of souls in the city of Sychar. But then Jesus continues up. You can see where he goes as he leaves Sychar, the follow the arrow straight up to Cana, which is also in Galilee. And then the man that has the sick son, he's up here in Capernaum. He's going to travel 16 miles to see Jesus and implore for his son. 
So that's uh, just kind of an, a review of where Jesus had been, where he's moving to, where he stops in Cana. Now he's in southern Galilee there, and this father is going to come and meet him there. Now Cana, as you may recall, is where the site of his first miracle where he turned the water into wine, and that took place at a wedding. And so Jesus, had returns to, as he returns to this area, he's returning to an area that is aware that Jesus has done the supernatural in this very city. But there's also reports of what he's done in Jerusalem. It says many received him because of what he had done in Jerusalem. Now the Bible doesn't tell us all the things that he did there, but it's clear he did some things that were amazing and that were miraculous. And while the map is still out, again, while Capernaum's up there, it's 16 miles to the northeast of Cana, where Jesus is at. Uh, both the cities are in Galilee, uh, but Capernaum is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Its literal meaning, the, the literal meaning of Capernaum is city of Nahum. City of Nahum. So that's what the Jews would have understood uh, the, the, the meaning of the, um, the city's name. It was a thriving fishing village. You know, a lot of Jesus' disciples were what? Fishermen. It was a thriving fishing village. It was inhabited predominantly, Capernaum that is, not Cana, um, although the same would apply to Cana. It was um, where the Father's coming from, it's a predominant Jewish village, but it was under Roman control. Of course, the whole area is under Roman control, under Herod Antipas. And there was some Roman influence, though, in Capernaum. There was actually some Gentile residents, and we'll see that this encounter with Jesus is with a Gentile resident. But let's first look at Jesus' return to Galilee. If you're taking notes, the first thing we'll look at this morning as we see Jesus' return to Galilee, remember he's been down in Judea, then in Samaria, now he's back in Galilee. It would be like us going from South Carolina, North Carolina, and we're home in Virginia, right? So it's kind of three regions in between. Um, you'll have to decide which one of those three is God's country. But uh, anyway, back to our notes. Deciding if you're taking notes, uh, this first thing, it says in verse, 40, uh, verse 43, now after two days, he had spent two more days in Samaria, he departed from there, he went to Galilee. Jesus himself testified that no prophet has honor in his own country. It was a proverb that was understood at that time. We'll talk about what that means in just a second. When he comes to Galilee, they receive him because of all the things they've seen him do. But receiving is not necessarily believing. The Indian convert, Sadhu Sundar Singh, who was born in 1889 to a Sikh family in India, and he later gave his life to Christ, he would serve as a missionary to his own Indian nation. I never knew until recently that he composed uh, this song that you probably know pretty well, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I thought it was composed by someone in England or Ireland or you know Wales or uh, New England or something like that, but no, this, uh, this hymn, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus, was composed by an Indian convert to Christ who then becomes a missionary to his own country. And later the song is brought over. The, even the tune today, the same tune, was an Indian tune, a folk song tune in India. It's still the same tune put to English. And then it ended up being used in Billy Graham crusades all over the world. The, world, the, uh, the whole world now knows the song and um, 
the words, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And this is something that we all have to come to is you have to decide to follow Jesus. He's not going to force you to believe in him or follow him. He gives the choice. If anyone wills, let him what? Come. God said, love the world. Whoever believes, you have, to, you have to believe. This is something we touched on with Nicodemus. And then the woman at the well. And then all the people that came out of Sychar. Once they knew who Jesus was, they had to decide. We have to decide. Sundar Singh had to decide. The people of India still have to decide. The people in Asia and Africa and Europe and Australia, everyone has to decide. What will we do? with Jesus to believe in him or not. The vast majority of Galileans that they, they had heard and they had even seen for themselves the witness of Jesus. But they were still in a wait and see mindset. They were still deciding. Jesus' own family members were in this camp. In other words, we need to see more. We're not yet fully convinced that you're divine. That you've come from God. That you're really the Messiah. Some weren't uh, some weren't even maybe convinced yet that he was a prophet, like Elijah or Elisha. And Jesus explains and warns that the familiarity that people had, even with prophets in the past, was a stumbling block for family and community when they began to preach. This makes sense. If you grew up with Elijah, and all of a sudden Elijah is given some mantle, and you used to play roughhouse with him, and all of a sudden he's saying, repent. Like, who are you? We used to hang out together. You're just Elijah from down the block. And actually God has anointed, poured oil on the prophets. They weren't always accepted by the people closest to them. It's the way it works sometimes. When Joseph prophesied to his own brothers, they were like, who are you? You're, you're not even the oldest not the oldest among Oh, sure, our stalks are going to bow down to you? Likely. Of course, it ends up happening. They couldn't see that what he proclaimed was directly from God. And this was true of Jesus and his family and his native land. They had a false familiarity with Jesus. They thought they knew him, but in reality, they were totally missing who he really was. By the way, Many Americans have a false familiarity with the name of Jesus. A false familiarity with the name of Jesus. You'll see when you're watching the country music awards and the R&B awards, lots of shout-outs to Jesus. Lots of shout-outs to Jesus. You don't really see it with the Academy Awards. That's a different ballgame right there. But at least with the R&B and the country stars, you'll see a lot of shout-outs to Jesus, but that doesn't mean they are in Christ. They have a lot of familiarity with the name, but not the man, not the Savior. And some do, but I'm saying that I've heard things come out of mouth in the same speech. I'm like, hold, time out! There's no way you've met him! That was a lot of bitter water and sweet water coming out at the same time. Many people in this country, they're blinded to his divine power. That's why they can use his name as a swear word. They're blinded to his authority. They're blinded that he's actually the Savior. And that was true 
in Jesus' time. But back to the scene there in Galilee, when Jesus transitioned from quiet carpenter for the first 30 years, he had a, just a quiet life. But then he transitions to teacher and preacher and going from village to village and town to town and all the way to Jerusalem and even the temple. They're still skeptical. Hey, but we knew you as little Jesus running around the dusty streets. And the ladies down there I used to babysit you. You're the son of God? John says here that the community of Galileans, the, the region he's from, this would be like Virginians receiving a native Virginia, or a Georgians receiving a Georgian. Whatever country, whatever area, they receive him back into the region based on the things that they've heard he's done or even seen he's done in Jerusalem at the Passover. Because a lot of times they still were waiting and then they saw him do some things at the Passover. So, ah, maybe he really is the Messiah. He didn't do that in Galilee. We heard about the Cana thing, but we didn't see it. Not everybody saw that. But notice John says they receive him. He does not say they believe in him. They receive him, but not necessarily believe. And it says if the people of Galilee are thinking to themselves, um, if it turns out you're legit, maybe, just maybe, we'll claim you as our own. You know, people love a winner, right? If you really are the king... Then you're a Galilean, like, you know, if you're not, then hey, we, 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 we kept you at arm's length, remember? But, 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 you still have some proving to do. It's the mindset of what John is portraying here. But nevertheless, welcome back. Welcome back to Galilee. We heard you did awesome things at the Passover. We saw some of them. That was amazing. Now contrast that to the Samaritans in the middle region there. The Samaritans... Well, they had no point of reference with Jesus. They had no familiarity with Jesus. Remember the woman at the well? She had no clue who he was. She's like, sir, where are you? At? She had no point of reference. She had no familiarity with Jesus. What a contrast. She believed on him, and then a bunch of people in Sychar and Samaria did. They all believed on him and trusted him with enthusiasm. His home turf? you got some proven to do to us. That's his home turf. Not quite yet. And many of you have experienced this in your own families. You became born again. And they either didn't know or still don't know what to make of you. <laughs> I remember when I first got saved uh, in South Florida and I had a lot of unsaved friends. We had our little entourage of unsaved guys that hung out and stuff. We, I got saved. They didn't know what to make of me. Little by little, they start dropping off. Dropping off. Another drop. Hey, I, I'm still cool. You know, no, you're not. You know, uh, <laughs> you're not anymore. You've changed. Kind of a Jesus freak now. You, you, you believe all this stuff. You don't want to do the same thing. Uh, one of my friends who, we did lots of unsaved things together. And... Um, uh, but, you know, now uh, he's recently moved uh, to Tennessee from South Florida, somewhere between Nashville and Knox to plant a church. And it's awesome to see. I remember we did all these unsaved things together, and now there's been this change in him. Little by little, I mean, but a long time ago, they didn't know what to make of me. People don't know what to make of you. They didn't know what to make of Jesus. They're still skeptical. 
Now, as it, as it relates to you being born again, people will say in your family, say, I'm glad you found something. Does everyone get this cliche? I mean, is this just going to hand it off? To, I'm glad you found something that, that makes you feel good, or you name it. For Sadhu, by the way, who wrote the hymn, I've decided to follow Jesus, by the way, his family in India immediately hated him. They tried to poison him to death. And Jesus, by the way, does warn of that possibility too, that, that your family may not, not just think you're weird, but want to take you out, and that's a bigger problem. But, but here Jesus says a prophet has no honor in his own country. And they understood, that, they understood what that meant. They understood that prophets were questioned uh, all the way back in time from their own area. But as they're still assessing and deciding what to make of Jesus, a more certain individual arrives on the scene. If you're taking notes, look at, let's look at this next section, which I've titled Imploring. Pick it back up. So Jesus comes into Cana. And there was a man uh, who had a, a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So Jesus is in Cana, but the, the sick son is back in Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. What would you do for your kids if they're at the point of death? This is Mother's Day. Would you walk a long ways if something could heal them? Would you change your plans to go get the right medicine? What would you do if your child was really at the point of death? And by the way, you wouldn't care about embarrassment or anything at that point, would you? Right. Everything's on the line. He comes and he comes to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, "Unless you people see signs and believe, uh, see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe." The nobleman said to him, "Sir." Come down before my child dies. The first thing we see about this individual is, is that he's a nobleman. It means royal official. He holds a leadership position within the Roman government. He's a Gentile with governing authority. The second thing we see here is John tells us the son was sick, very sick. Thirdly is that he's from Capernaum. And that's where his ill son still is. As I mentioned, Capernaum was a Jewish fishing village. But it did have some Roman intersections. And if perhaps you had money, it would be a beautiful place to build a home. And of course this nobleman would have had money. He would have had plenty more than what would be normal in the community. When we were there in Israel, and I put this picture up, uh, when we were in Israel, and some of you that went with us, you'll remember this. Uh, this is Capernaum. Just a couple of years ago, I think two years ago, we took this picture. And Capernaum's a beautiful area on the north part of the Sea of Galilee. You can see olive trees, you can see palm trees, you can see cedars. Uh, it's just a really beautiful area, very lush and green around that part on the hills, the meadows, all the flowers that grow on the, on the hills there. And you can see the a mountain of Beatitudes uh, just to your, well, it depends on if you're facing where we're facing, it would be to your right, because um, we're facing towards the synagogue there. And even here, uh, you can see um, some of the Roman architecture that's uh, in right behind that palm tree that's dead center there. A Roman centurion had actually built the first synagogue. A Roman centurion built that as a blessing to the Jewish people, and he was a good man, the Bible tells us. 
he built that um, synagogue. Uh, you see the Roman architecture, though. That is from the 4th century rebuild. So um, that's built on the same exact spot. Matthew was also from uh, Capernaum. Matthew was what? A tax collector. Any of you seen The Chosen, how they're portraying Matthew? Uh, that's where he's from. And so Matthew was a tax collector. They hated tax collectors. That was probably a tax office there in Capernaum. So we see some of the Roman influence. But this royal official, this Gentile man, he's looking for the Son of Man. This Gentile man is looking for the Son of Man, Yeshua, Jesus. He's a desperate man. He's a desperate father, to be exact. And he comes to Jesus with one singular request. Please. Please. Maybe you're here this morning and you have one singular request right now in your heart. Please, God. Please, Jesus. Now, the first singular request that God wants everyone to get to is please save me. That we would come and say, I'm desperate for a Savior. But even after you're saved, there's other desperations of the heart. There's other pleadings you see the word, what implore means here. He's pleading, he's pressing in, he's begging, he's beseeching. Please come down to Capernaum. Down, because I don't know if you saw on the map, I loved maps even as I was a kid. So even when I was a kid, when I would read in the Bible, hold on, why does that say down? Well, that's north. I would notice north, south, and I was like, no, 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 that, that Capernaum is north. That would be going up. But no, it's not from an elevation standpoint. Cana is 900 feet above sea level. Capernaum is 700 feet below sea level. So the Bible's right again. <laughs> Always right. When it says, let's go down, it literally is saying, let's go down. When the Father's saying, come down to Capernaum, come down from my son is going down. I'm in a valley. I'm down in a valley. Come down. Everything's going down. This father desperately needs Jesus to come down as his son's condition is going down fast. He's declining quickly, and he's closer and closer by the second to death. This man needs a miracle. Maybe this morning you need a miracle. Maybe those of you online, maybe there's something you desperately you know that only God can do. There's some situations, many situations in life that only God can fix. And it's really good that you get to the place, and I get to the place that we know that. I got news for you. Every situation, only God can fix. But this man, he's made the 16-mile journey uphill from 700 feet below sea level to 900 feet from Capernaum, moving from the north to the southwest, but moving up in elevation the whole way where he's told Jesus can be found. And no doubt, he's heard from those in the wider Galilean community that Jesus has performed miracles. Whether it be the water to wine in the very city of Canaan where Jesus is at, or other miracles and healing in Judea, we don't know what he knew, we don't know what he had heard, but we do know that he was convinced 
that Jesus was the only hope. Are you convinced that Jesus is your only hope, not just for salvation, but for everything else you need in this lifetime? Say, so I don't really need Jesus for this, that, and the other because I got a really good job. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually one of the smarter people I know, and you know, I mean, you know uh, all the kind of things that you think that you bring to the table. Well, I don't really say that to people. I just think it. You know, I, I don't really voice that. No, it's a really good thing when any person on earth is convinced that Jesus is their only hope. It's a really good thing. It's a humbling thing. I, I've got the place in the last seven, eight years of my life, there's been so many things that have brought me to my knees. I'm like, Lord, I can't do another day of this without your help. You're my only hope. Do you feel that way? Do you know that's true? This man was desperate. It's Mother's Day. There might be some desperate moms in here who say, Lord, I think some of the things that are going on that I'm dealing with will like to kill me. But when he gets to Jesus, when this man gets to Jesus, he gets straight to the point. When you pray, do you ever get straight to the point with God? I mean straight to the point. He doesn't ask Jesus about his ministry. There's no time for that. He doesn't investigate. Hey, Jesus, what are you capable of? Our 99 range. He doesn't ask him whether he's really the Messiah. He just begs him, please come before my son dies. I love kids' prayers sometimes. They're so much better than adults. They're just sincere. Sometimes I hear adults pray, I'm like, make it stop. You know, <laughs> you know you're like, can we just talk normal? Last thing this morning, believing. If you're taking notes. Look what happens. We've got to pick it up again because Jesus makes two statements, and they are kind of odd, juxtaposed beside each other, but they're not once you kind of understand what Jesus is doing here. Verse 48 again, and then we'll read all the way through the end of the chapter. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll by no means believe. That doesn't seem like a compassionate response of Jesus, does it? Jesus doesn't put an arm around him and say, I love your son. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll by no means believe. The nobleman said, sir, the nobleman blows past that response and says, sir, come down before my child dies. Verse 50, then Jesus said, go your way. Your son lives. There's no additional information from Jesus. There's no, here's how, he just says, go home, your son's alive. Not just alive, lives a moving forward statement. So the man believed, you can circle that, believed. Remember the Galileans, they only received him. Kind of, all right, we'll, we'll tolerate you. The man believed the word of Jesus, that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Your son lives. Then he inquired of them at the hour when he got better, and they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour. Now we believe, a lot of scholars believe that John here is using Roman time because why? He's dealing with a Roman Gentile man. Many scholars believe that John is using Roman time in this case. That would have been 7 p.m. in the evening. Whether that's the case or not, that's again, 
not totally important, but that was the hour the fever, fever left him. So the father knew it was at the same hour, regardless what time he was using, whether it's Jewish time or Gentile time or Roman time, it was the exact same moment that Jesus said, be healed. It, the, the servant said, that's when it happened. Your son lives. And he himself believed. And it gets better than that, his whole household. There's a whole household healed by Jesus of a bigger thing than whatever the son was dealing with. The sin issue. The eternal death issue. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. The second sign. Of course the first was turning water into wine. So as we wrap up with this last point this morning, this father doesn't he doesn't openly display even a shred of doubt, though he may have had some. By the way, sometimes you and I openly display perfect faith. Inward, we in, inward, we're like shaking like a leaf. We don't know, but this desperate request seems to prompt an answer from Jesus that may be more directed to the Galileans than the man himself. Why would we say that? And by the way, uh, when we get to that for a second, but. Uh, we see that the Holy Spirit, as God is prone to do, works simultaneously in accomplishing multiple facets of the Father's will at the same moment. Notably, he gives a loving warning to the hard hearts of the Galileans, but he offers this compassionate help to this man who is in trouble. So Jesus hits the bullseye, a couple of bullseyes, with the same arrow. We see a plurality here. He says, you people. You people. That's not just, usually when I'm talking to one person, I don't say, hey, you people. So he responds to the man, but I think that you would agree that he's responding beyond the man to the crowd that's also there. As best we can tell, there's only one person asking for a miracle, and that's the Father. Yet we know the Jews in Galilee, they did receive Jesus back into the community, based on the signs that he did in Jerusalem. But let's understand, they didn't really need any more evidence than they had already been given. They were insisting on more evidence. Jesus was saying, you want more signs. They had the disciples themselves. These were changed men. That's a sign. The miracles that they saw on the Passover feast, those are signs. The wedding miracle. We also know as Jesus says, you people, and he speaks like that to the man, we know that it was not uncommon for Jesus to speak to people's thoughts. He would say, why are you thinking su such and so, right? right? And they'd be like, how did you know I was thinking that? I didn't say, I didn't verbalize that. Did this, did this with the disciples as well. And it's certainly possible that Jesus... Um, is as he's speaking to the Galileans that they may be thinking, you can just think what their thoughts could be like. You know, they're sitting there and Jesus says, You people, you always need signs. Because it's very possible when this man says, My son needs to be healed, they could be thinking, Well, this is timely. We need more proof. If he really is a healer, remember he's on the cross. If you're really the Son of Man, come down from the cross. If you're really a healer, can you really heal this man's son? But after Jesus addresses 
the unbelief of the larger audience. The father, again, as I said, he blows right through that and says, please come and heal my son before he dies. It's as if the father's saying, I don't need, I, I don't know who you're talking to, but I don't need a sign. I don't need a sign. I just need your power. Maybe that's you this morning. You don't need any more evidence. You just need God's power. Like the Samaritan woman, uh, she didn't understand how all this works, and neither does this, does, does this man. They just need the one who makes it work and is above it all. What Jesus says next and does goes back to the heart of John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. You know, if, if Jesus can speak the galaxies into existence, he can speak a healing from anywhere he wants to. And as he does, that same power of the word, his power, when Jesus is saying the words, your son lives, this is the way I envision it. I see like this invisible arrow of healing flying 16 miles to the air, hitting the kid, and boom, he's well. Right through the invisible atmosphere. And by the way, that's how our prayers are answered. We can't see the throne room of God. We pray these invisible prayers that go up to our invisible God that's all over the universe and he then does visible things. I've had many prayers answered that are real, but I prayed thoughts and it came back in real things. Like real healings and real stuff and real jobs and whatever it may be. You can imagine some of the unspoken unbelief there when Jesus said your son lives. You can imagine some of the Galileans, yeah right. I'm sure his son's doing great. Anybody can say that from 16 miles away, 1,200 feet distance. Anyone can say that. But it does come true, right? Mm -hmm. This will be a witness down the road. You get to heaven, you're going to meet the, this man and the woman at the well. They were contemporaries. They were a couple days apart. Some of them, Galileans, they had already seen Jesus preach and do these miracles, and yet they still didn't believe. Because seeing is not always believing, is it? But this Gentile, he had never seen any of it. And he immediately believed. How many of us would have believed? One thing I want to encourage you in your prayer life, and those of you that are online as well, I do this a lot. Lord, I believe, I believe, I, I'll say it. And even when 99.9% .9 of me does not actually believe it, I start praying, Lord, I believe it. And Lord, help my unbelief. Galatians 3.6, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Believe is the essence of our faith. We believe God. We believe you love us. We were singing those songs this morning. Uh, God, you're so good to me. You feel like a, you're having a lousy day. You start saying, God, I believe you're really good to me. Guess what happens to your lousy day? It gets flipped upside down. And you realize, hold on, I was being lied to by my flesh, by the enemy, by the circumstances. God is so good. I believe that. I receive that and keep praying it. And all of a sudden things turn around. And as we saw in Samaria, when one becomes that witness, he believed, now his whole household believes. Isn't that great? Moms that are here today, you keep believing 
all your kids and grandkids are going to come home to the faith. Keep believing it. Don't let someone tell you, well, I know someone that Don't listen to them. Listen to God. Just believe it. Just keep believing it and praying it and standing on it. We're not responsible for the results. We're responsible for our belief and our willingness to live out our faith and surrender to Jesus and then to be a light unto others. And I believe that this father goes on to be a light, not just to his family, but to the community. I want to close with the contrast of belief and unbelief. Many Galileans, they saw and didn't believe. Yet this father from Capernaum, he could not see that his son was healed. And yet, as he's walking away, he's believing it. And you can imagine, as he is moving down the, in, uh, down the decline, and his servants are like, we're going to run. I've met you his servants. You know when something awesome happens? You get a bolt of energy. The servants are like, if we have to run uphill 1,200, 16 miles, which is less than a marathon, if we have to just run nonstop, we've got to go find him and tell him. And I believe that somewhere in the middle or the last third, they... He, they he sees them running. He already believes his son is healed, but they're running him. You're not going to believe it. Yeah, I already chose to believe it. And they're hugging and jumping up and down. And they, they know how to like celebrate in the Middle East, by the way. We were, we've been there a couple times, and some of the celebrations are pretty epic. I can see them jumping up and down. And that's the way it works. We have to believe the words of Jesus. We have to believe We're going to hear this word again and again. We have to believe, and then when we believe, then we have the sight. Then we have the breakthroughs. Well, I'll believe after I get the breakthrough. doesn't work that way, brother and sister. You believe first, then the breakthrough will come. I believe the word of God says this. I believe that God will honor his word. I believe that I must be in his word. I believe I must pray. I believe I must be in fellowship. I believe that I can't keep complaining. I believe that I must... I was listening to Israel Houghton uh, lead worship, and Tawan, you, you know, we were, uh, we were leading worship today. Something you did, it reminded me, he said, smile when you worship. <laughs> well, the Bible says to rejoice always, and again, I say rejoice. I mean, that's, you either believe that or you discount that, but as soon as you start believing it, awesome things will start happening in your life. That's the way it works. Are we convinced that Jesus must be believed? Are we convinced he's the only solution? Are we desperate enough to believe? Last thing, I'm closing with this prayer I'm going to put on the screen. The prayer will be on the screen. And it's in a book I have, Praying Through the Gospel of John. You can see the authors there. Actually, one of them has passed away. Uh, But you can see the prayer on the screen. Father, and it closes uh, their kind of like um, review of this same text. Father, I need faith and courage right now. Maybe that's someone in this room or someone online. Father, I need faith and courage right now. Today, I'm in a war for my heart, and I must have your power to believe. You know I live in a hostile world, and we do, that thinks I'm crazy and naive for accepting your teachings as truth. Yeah, I, I worked in corporate America for 16 years. And I'd be, well, why do you, you really put your trust in that kind of stuff? yes. But I take your word. Whatever happens, I will trust and obey. I know you're ahead of it, at work for my good, even when you seem distant, and still, I choose to believe. It's a choice. You have to decide. Am I going to believe God or my lying feelings? 
or the lying enemy or whatever else it is. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you. We do choose to believe. It's a decision, Lord, but it's an easy one when we see that you can speak the universe into existence and you conquered death. You paid for our sins on the cross. You rose from the dead. Lord, we can believe anything because you can do anything. And just as your heads are bowed and anyone online, I just want to speak to those that if there's anyone here that says, you know, I've never believed that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I've never believed on him for salvation. I've never believed and put my trust in, Lord, you can save me. Please save me. If, if there's anyone here, I just want to pray with you. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with anyone that wants to give their heart to Christ. Maybe someone online. Anyone at all. Just raise your hand. I'd love to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to say a prayer in case there's someone online. I never take for granted. We've had a lot of people visit us first several times online and tell me, you know, I've been watching for a month online, now we're here. But if you've never put your trust in the Lord and you want to believe on Him for salvation, for the cleansing of your sin, just pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank You for coming. Thank You for living a sinless life. Thank You for dying for my sins on a cruel cross shedding your blood to wash me clean. Thank you for conquering death and rising from the grave. And I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus. No turning back. I've decided to put my faith and trust in you. You've given me the faith. You've given me the grace to make that decision. But Lord, I, I receive now your gift of eternal life by trusting in your name. Please cleanse me. Please wash me. Write my name in the land's book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. The rest of you, if you're, and, and you, amen to that. Lord, it, for the rest of you, if your heads are bowed, and if you say, you say, I have something that I need more faith to believe God in. Raise your hand. I, I, my hand's up. I have something I need more faith to believe God for in my life right now. I mean, literally, right now. It might be 10 prayers, it might be one prayer. I don't know. Lord, you see these hands, and Lord, I pray that for each person and those that are online, you would increase our faith. The disciples made that request. That's a prayer. Lord, increase our faith. But Lord, not only will you do your part, we have to do our part and just say, Lord, we believe. So Lord, by obedience, may we do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.